Bankless Nation, hope you're doing well. We spun up this episode in a hurry for you. This topic evolved late last week. David, it feels like the SEC has declared war on crypto. Staking is not a crime, or is it? I don't even know anymore with respect to what the SEC is doing. What are we going to cover today and who do we have on as our guest? Yeah, not just the SEC. There is an entire cross-governmental agency coordinated effort to really apply pressure to the industry across many different vectors. Uh, What is going on? We're bringing on Mike Selig, who is going to, it's his second time on Bankless. This is the first time we, uh, he, uh, perfect timing at the end of December called 2023 the year of regulation. Oh, he uh, did? Yes. And we are now just six weeks later, and here we are. Uh, and so perhaps he called it. And so my first question to Mike is going to be, uh, is this what you expected? Uh, but overall, we're just going to get a lay of the land. And now that we have more insight into what the SEC is up to, along with all the other agencies that are also showing face, showing force, uh, what is going on and what yeah, do we do I about mean, this last we left you guys was the roll-up which we recorded thursday and mm-hmm. um there was rumors that maybe the sec was going to say something about staking and they did more than say something oh, since yeah. we recorded our last episode on this subject they actually went about and banned uh staking on kraken like mm-hmm. what's that about we're going to talk about that and then also paxos their busd stablecoin is under attack so not only staking um, also, stablecoins, mm-hmm. staking stablecoins under attack by the SEC. How, That's how is Gensler. a stablecoin a security is a good question that I'd like to know. It's the fifth prong of the Howie test. Does <laughs> Gary Gensler hate it? Uh, you got to check that box and see if he does. Well, anyway, we've got to explore all of this today and, and give you guys an update on what's going on. Speaking of updates, David, I want to thank our friends and sponsors. At All right, David, um, maybe tell listeners what they can expect to hear from Mike mm-hmm. in this episode. What should we be looking out for? Yeah, so for every single topic, there's been a, a number of topics that are all announced, announced, revealed in the last like week or so. There is uh, SEC versus Kraken. What about Kraken staking product really triggered the ire of the SEC? There's there's the SEC versus Paxos. Why did whatever Paxos is doing with Binance Stablecoin, why did that trigger the ire of the SEC? Then there's the rest of Operation Chokepoint, which involves just the Senate Banking Committee, uh, the Treasury, like all of these different cross-governmental organizations overarching the Biden administration. Why are they? All, why is this all happening at once? Uh, is this the end of the onslaught or is there another barrage coming? Uh, so these are all the angles that we are going to talk about just to be informed about like, all right, this is we're six weeks into 2023. Is this what the rest of the year is like or is this what a brutal year? Yeah. Like, why do they hate us so much? I don't <laughs> understand. Um, we'll ask Mike that question too, mm-hmm. guys. We're going to get right to the episode, but before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible, including Bankless Nation. I want to introduce you to Mike Selig, who's the counsel for the Digital Asset Department over at Wilkie Farr and Gallagher, an international law firm based here in New York City. And Mike has been on Bankless before, not talking not too long ago, talking about the year ahead for crypto regulation. And at the start of this year, Mike, you wrote an article where you said, in the year ahead, the SEC and the CFTC will likely push the boundaries for the, of their existing authorities through novel enforcement actions. Um, Mike, we are only six weeks into 2023. Is this what you thought would happen? Is this is this the playbook that you thought would be coming? You know, it, it's a little bit more coordinated than even I anticipated. I think you've, you've seen um, actions by the CFTC, the SEC, Treasury, um, within Treasury, FinCEN and OFAC, evaluating this stuff, state regulators like the New York Department of Financial Services, there's a clear uh, coordination of efforts amongst the regulators. And, and that's a lot more than even I expected here. So to really kick these, these things off, uh, we're, there's Operation Chokepoint, which is not a really an official title. That's a title that the community has come up with, this intergovernmental coordination that's really all seemingly happening at once. But we want to talk about the details on, on some of the, the intricacies, starting with the SEC. Um, SEC and staking. Is staking now illegal or what are the nuances here? They, do, do I have to go to jail if I run a validator? <laughs> uh, and so, We're going to lock you up. Right. So uh, the SEC came in with a, a, a settlement with Kraken. Uh, so Kraken agreed to pay a $30 million fine to settle with the SEC. Uh, what is exactly the, what did the SEC charge Kraken with? And can you just help us unpack this? Yeah, and, and just first of all, to all the anons out there, I'm not your lawyer and, and nothing I say is legal advice today. 
Um, so what's going on with, with Kraken and, and staking? First mm-hmm. of all, the SEC is not saying that all forms of staking are securities yet. They okay. might. We'll see. But today, uh, the focus is on these staking programs offered through centralized platforms here at Kraken. And all of this was settled. Uh, between the the agency and Kraken, and so none of this is necessarily law. Um, it's not binding precedent. Uh, Kraken chose to to settle here, um, but but others may not. And so, even custodial staking programs may uh, be be outside the scope of the securities laws. It's just a settlement. But what's happening here is the SEC is glomming on to centralized custodial staking programs. And what happens in these programs is somebody wants to to stake Ether. They don't want to run the software themselves and and stake directly through the um, deposit contract. Maybe they don't have 32 ETH. They decide to go to a custodial provider um, here, Kraken, uh, provide their crypto assets to Kraken, or they they buy crypto assets on the exchange. Kraken pools those crypto assets uh, and then deposits some of them the staking uh, contract. And others, it held in reserve. And so the SEC is really focused on this this program, the pooling of the assets together and providing a return to the to the staker. The return is not necessarily the same return you would get if you staked directly. Uh, Kraken published a return amount, and that could be higher or lower at times than the actual uh, amount that you would earn by staking directly. The rewards are more consistent because if if you've got a big pool of of crypto assets that you're staking, you're going to get rewards much more often, not necessarily higher rewards. Um, And in fact, the rewards very well could have been lower because if you're staking directly, you don't pay fees. Um, But the the idea that there's some crypto assets that don't get staked, Kraken's potentially managing this reserve, and then providing instant liquidity. So you don't have the bonding and unbonding periods that you would have. And with Ethereum, you know, you can't withdraw until until we get the unlock. And so uh, the, just some of the mechanics look a lot different from staking directly or even liquid staking. Um, and, and that's important. But not every crypto custodial um, staking program is necessarily even comparable to this. So you could have a program where you have a state licensed money transmitter. So most of these exchanges and custodians are licensed at the state level. They may hold a trust charter, which we'll we'll discuss the banking stuff later, or they might have state money transmitter licenses, and they register with FinCEN as a money services business. They have the ability to move funds on behalf of customers. And so if if you deposit crypto assets with one of these third parties, they move the funds and there's a deposit contract for you, stake it for you. They're really just routing funds to another person or location. And that's kind of within the scope of what these guys do, like a PayPal or a Venmo. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So that direct model is a little bit different than this pooling type model where you have some held back, some staked, you know, a promise fixed return. And then of course the SEC is very focused on marketing. And so they didn't like some of the marketing language promoting a fixed return, promoting, you know, the expertise and security of the validators operated by uh Kraken here. So whether any of this is really fair game or or, or right within the sense of the Howey test and the law. Um, th- these are the arguments the SEC made, and Kraken chose to settle here. I um I I guess I want to ask you a few things about this, Mike. What's like one is uh, in the manner by which the SEC is sort of rolling this out. Um, and this was the uh, the video that um, Gary Gensler put out, and uh, it has uh, it's like classroom with mm-hmm. Gary um, is actually the title, and um, like this is this is Gary explaining staking to us. Um, with some nice background music and you know it's hilarious that it's actually a picture of a, a steak as in meat um office hours with gary gensler um the way this was approached is very interesting to me so um it was focused on kraken there was this settlement um but what's interesting about the approach is like they didn't like ask kraken to sort of re-register or uh tweak certain things and then come back to them it was sort of a, a flat out you can no longer do this and then a settlement by kraken um i tweeted this under gary's like you could have mandated proof of reserves required staking transparency supported decentralized staking instead we got another gary g banhammer to the head that's really what it's felt like um from the crypto industry is this typically the way the sec kind of rolls out its um what if what you'd call this um penalties or or like prohibitions or is this somewhat unique to this particular case and and to the crypto industry the sec has the power to both issue rules and to bring enforcement actions these are the two ways that they regulate 
in most contexts with a new technology and new type of financial product, the SEC has open meetings where the industry can come in, talk to the regulators, uh, work collaboratively with the industry. Uh, they propose rules, industry comments on those rules, and then they get finalized. The SEC, rather than engaging with this industry uh, you know, under the current administration, uh, is putting out influencer YouTube videos comparing proof of stake to stake, um, putting out uh, enforcement actions, sending Wells notices to everybody, really trying to diminish the industry. And it, it shows that they don't, at least this administration doesn't view it in the same way that they view the asset management industry more broadly or view uh, private equity or hedge funds. They're looking down on the industry putting out office hours with Gary as if this is child's, uh, you know, child's finance, you know, Matt Levine's calling it, you know, fake, uh, you know, a, a toy economy of crypto. And I think that's really the messaging that they're pushing. And so rather than engage and have real hearings and, and open meetings on this stuff, they're just going to bring lawsuits and try and sue everybody. And, and the industry is probably going to push back. Mike, the feeling of this video was just patronizing mm -hmm. AF. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. that's what I felt like you're explaining staking to people who have ether staked inside of Kraken as if we don't know anything know and we're just yeah. gullible, dumb investors, you know, and, and like you're trying to teach a classroom. Um, I, I don't understand the patronizing uh, approach. Is that is that a vibe that um, he's going for, do you think? Or is this just like how he views the industry? What, what's happening here? Yeah, I think that I think this is the the Gensler vibe. <laughs> this is what he wants to do, right? He wants to delegitimize and minimize the industry. Whereas what we saw with the Clayton administration, which a lot of us were frustrated with, right, during the ICO years and the the token sale years, where there were so many scams out there, so it was it was somewhat reasonable. But there were a lot of legitimate companies trying to sell tokens and build in the space, and we were frustrated with the the lack of clarity and guidance. But they put out a framework. They put out. Um, guidance on, on various items. Um, they put out, um, which we can talk about later, something on stable coins, which is helpful here um, with respect to, to other things that are going on with the Gensler administration. But there's really just been from this administration, a condescending attitude. And if you come in, you walk out with a subpoena. It's, it's not the same. Uh, I was talking to someone earlier about going in a meeting with the SEC. You can't really do that anymore because you walk out with a subpoena or you get wells. And it's just not a friendly uh, environment to operate. Just a, a quick definition protocol. for us. What does getting wells mean? So a wells notice is essentially the, the beginning of an investigation by a regulator, such as the SEC or the CFTC. They send you a letter that says we're considering bringing a full investigation and enforcement action where we're going to seek civil monetary penalties and other um, relief and tell us why you don't think we should do that. Mm -hmm. And they give you a period of time to respond. And this current SEC is not giving a whole lot of time to respond. And the CFTC, frankly, is not either. And so there's this hurry up and, and settle with us attitude. Um, and they're, they're wellsing a lot of these crypto industry participants. So they're collecting a lot of information and really trying to find uh, pressure points, really trying to find points of centralization. You know, we talked about my article um, that, that I wrote last year, kind of on the predictions for this year. I think it I predicted that it would be a year of centralization, decentralization versus regulation, where the the crypto protocol developers are really looking to find ways to decentralize aspects of their products. Same with even centralized platforms incorporating things like MPC um, and, and DeFi and Web3 into their platforms to, to further decentralize their offerings so that the SEC can't point to these kind of centralized points of failure like they're doing with, with Kraken and some of these actions. There's a tweet here on screen that I, uh, this conversation has reminded me. I, I saw not too, too long ago. This is from uh, Jason Gottlieb. Gottlieb. Uh, he says, I find the SEC's all crypto projects have to do is come in and register line unbelievably insulting. It assumes that there's this vast quantity of sophisticated securities lawyers who are advising their crypto clients. Nah, man, screw the SEC, YOLO baby, and do whatever you want. Uh, and this is the co communication that Gary Gensler and the SEC have put out there. It's like, oh, you are free to come in and be compliant with us, uh, which is just taking the voice out of so much of the crypto industry and saying that, like, oh, it's it's simple. You just come in and do this process. And I'm my... My skepticism hat is like, oh, Gary Gensler is putting on a show. He's putting on a face for the rest of the world to say like, oh, the, the wild west of the crypto world isn't doing what we're asking and coming in and complying. 
Meanwhile, there are very smart, very talented lawyers in the crypto space who see the predicament that we are in and like and it is not matched by the, the language out, out of the SEC. I, I'm assuming, Mike, that for your conversations with lawyers all over the space, that ever, this is kind of a consensus view. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I work with the former chair of the CFTC, um, worked with him at the CFTC when, when he was uh, commissioner. You know, we have credible people in the room trying to work with the regulators. Um, th- there are commissioners at both the SEC and CFTC, like Commissioner Hester Peirce, Commissioner Caroline Pham, that want this stuff to, to move forward, want rules, want reasonable regulation. Um, but it's very difficult to, uh, you know, Gary Gensler said on CNBC the other day, you just come file a form. It's on our website. Right. And Jesse Powell tweeted about it. Like, yeah, that, that's exactly why we have a $30 million settlement here, because it, it's not that easy to just file a form. Um, none of this stuff works within the existing paradigm for securities regulation, which kind of what we talked about the last time I was on. And without exemptive relief and changes to some of the market structure, we're not going to be able to have uh, crypto within a securities framework. It's just going to be equity on uh, you know equity securities on a blockchain. Okay, so we've hammered out the uh, SEC has a bias against the crypto industry details. Like that's kind of no surprise to, to people. I want to actually go back to the to the Kraken case specifically because you talked about in the ways that all of the Kraken staking product was different from just raw protocol staking can you talk about just like the line that uh the line that was drawn by the sec that differentiated kraken specific flavoring of staking versus like uh, i think you'd like differentiated it between liquid staking just talk about the nuances about like what the yeah. sec specifically was going after here and how kraken staking was different from just any other centralized staking as a service provider yeah absolutely so Staking directly is, is the cleanest form in that you're on Ethereum pulling together your own 32 ETH, sending it to the deposit contract, staking it directly. Um, you accrue your staking rewards. The rewards are generated by the Ethereum network. They don't come from any sort of third party or centralized intermediary. Um, it's it's very similar to, you know, on a proof of work chain, you earn rewards in, in the same kind of programmatic fashion. Um, so the SEC hasn't really cast any thought on on directly staking or running a proof of work node or any of that um the, so the... i, I want to also be clear so that includes running your own validator from your house right directed protocol um does that also include using some sort of decentralized staking service like a maybe a rocket pool mm-hmm. or in the future lido have they weighed in on that at all so the sec is not made of you um public on on any of that i think that is the next step right so we we feel most comfortable with staking directly liquid staking and and rocket pool and lido and and others like um uh, liquid collective these other types of of staking methods uh you know the sec is not weighed in on but they're much closer to staking directly than staking through any centralized custodian because everybody is putting their ETH together in a single smart contract. There's no uh, person running a program or collecting that ETH and, and saying, oh, some of these are going to be staked and others aren't. And in, even if that were to occur with respect to the programming of the smart contract, it's all open source. There's, there's no information asymmetries. The code's out there. It goes into a smart contract. You get your receipt token, and, and we should be calling these liquid staking tokens instead of liquid staking derivatives. That's another <laughs> point. They're not derivatives. Um, but you put your token into the the smart contract. You receive your receipt token, and those uh, crypto assets that were that are in the smart contract get associated, uh, delegated to a, a validator node, um, and they get staked. And you get your, your rewards from the Ethereum network. They're passed on to your receipt. It looks a lot like regular staking. It looks similar to you know if the three of us got together and like we don't have 32 ETH, let's pull our ETH together, um, run a node, and stake it together. And that's the idea with, with these liquid staking protocols as opposed to some centralized program where there's other features. And I think it's important to note that in the SEC's complaint against Kraken, they compare Kraken's program to staking directly. They say that there are these other features that make it investment-like, that bring it within the scope of the Howey test, that uh, presumably staking directly or even under um, liquid staking protocol, but you don't have all these other features. Um, and... and an important point here as well is that there's terms of use, there's terms and conditions associated with a centralized platform where you're staking through a program. And depending on what's in those terms of use, as the SEC pointed out uh, in this instance, 
uh, with Kraken, the term said that Kraken's creditors could encumber the assets. So it looked a lot more like what uh, Gemini is being investigated for, uh, what uh, BlockFi was offering, uh, Nexo, some of these other lending pro uh, programs where users put in assets, they're kind of pulled together, they may be deployed in whatever way they're deployed, but you, you earn a return on that. Um, and I think in staking, from a policy perspective and, and from just a, a reasonable person's perspective, the, the two are not the same. Um, some of the features on top of staking are almost not the essential managerial efforts that you would look to. The rewards are still coming from the network. And so the SEC should be more focused on these instances where they're being thrown into 3AC and into other mm -hmm. you know, speculative uh, projects as opposed to being deposited in the, the Ethereum smart contract and, and receiving rewards. And Mike, to be clear, other centralized exchanges offer staking as well. I mean, maybe notably um, Coinbase, um, that is custodial staking in, the, in similar ways that Kraken is. Why, wasn't, uh, Coinbase, why doesn't Coinbase have to shut down its staking program right now? You know, the facts and circumstances of every program are going to determine what the, you know, whether the SEC views it as a security or whether it meets the definition of a security. So without you know, speaking to any particular program, it's really hard to say. And we don't know what the SEC is looking at, frankly, um, behind the scenes. But every program is different. The terms and conditions are different for every program. I think it's important if there is a, you know, a staking program that you look to the terms and conditions. And if, if you have legal and beneficial ownership of your crypto assets and they're just forwarded on to the protocol... Uh, for staking, and you can pull them out at any time. There's no features that make it investment-like. There's not a reserve of tokens. All these features that the SEC focused on and Kraken, um, that can be used as a checklist and framework for evaluating other programs. But it's not to say that that you know, Kraken chose to settle this. That, you know, it's not law. It, this is only a, an out of an out of court settlement. Yeah, that, um, this is what's confusing confusing to me. So I, I think like staking revenue, at least because we can we can track this for Coinbase was like thirteen percent of their revenue last year or something, right? It's like that's a, a lot right. of money uh, for uh, centralized exchanges. So um, one, it's just you know point of evidence that that Coinbase is still operating a staking uh, service in the United States has not has not shut that down has not been required to shut that down. And then like another point of fact is, is Kraken has, and like, it seems like if, if what you're saying is true is like, um, there could be some things tweaked to the policy or, or changed about the way Kraken does it. And honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't see why, why Kraken would have any material reason not to make these changes if that was requested. Why wouldn't they just go through the process of like, okay, fine. You, you know, you've raised some good points. SEC, mm -hmm. there could be some more transparency here. We could safeguard investors and make sure that this is uh, not um, kind of something, an asset that some debtor can claim. Once we do all of that, will you allow us to resume our program? Instead, it's just like discontinued, pay $30 million fine. And then we have like um, people like Jesse Powell uh, tweeting like, look, we didn't even, there was no form to fill out. There was no office hours with Gary where I could like have a discussion with you and like be reasonable about like what we should do for the industry. You just turned it off. And I don't understand why that hasn't happened. Uh, and like, there just doesn't seem to be consistency here. Is this story making sense to you? Yeah. You know, in under the prior administration, under the Clayton administration, they set up this thing called FinHub, which is there, you know, come in and talk to the crypto team at the SEC and in a collaborative way, we'll work through exemptive relief and other sorts of issues. That was a, a path for many projects back in the day. There were three new action letters granted to crypto projects. I worked on one of them, the, the most recent of the three, and this was in you know, 2019, 2020, that we were granted a letter actually for something that looked a lot like a stablecoin was interesting um, with respect to some of their other actions. And it was very collaborative. The FinHub was open to, to meeting with industry and providing relief under the current administration. That's not the case. And so it makes it very difficult for centralized exchanges or anybody in the space that wants to comply because they can't come in and ask for these sorts of targeted pieces of relief. Maybe they, they wanted to offer a program that looks a lot like a security under the, the guise of the you know, securities laws the relief they would need, they need to go to the SEC and ask for that relief. And typically you would get that in, in other contexts. But here the SEC is antagonistic and, and won't grant that relief. And it makes it very difficult. You have to run the risk of the product either being a not, you know, being characterized as a security and having to settle with the SEC or not being able to offer the product at all. I think and, that's and, why 
the crypto industry is not convinced that this chairman is actually trying to help um, investors in crypto. Um, it seems much more like this is some sort of theater to score points in some game that you know is not has nothing to do with protecting retail, but is maybe political or motivated in other ways. I, I want to make the point and check me if this is true, Mike. Um, Kraken services in Europe are still fully functional. Um, Europe obviously has sophisticated uh, regulatory bodies as well that are clearly not taking the same position as the SEC. So is uh, Gensler and this administration not in net effect driving this business offshore and making American uh, companies and American cryptocurrency exchanges less competitive in the global market and doing a disservice potentially to retail, removing an option from the ranks? Is that the net effect of this? That's exactly what's happening here. We've got MICA in Europe. There's progress towards crypto laws and regulations overseas. We don't have that here. There was some momentum and FTX kind of <laughs> blew everything up, right? And so we don't have any sort of legislation that's being seriously considered at the moment. Maybe we will. But without that legislative package, it makes it really hard because the regulators are just doing their thing. They're, they're following the, the administration's uh, we'll talk about Operation Choke Point later, but following this kind of general uh, antagonism towards crypto, and they have this broad enforcement authority. And without a legislative mandate to go out and pass rules, they're just going to keep bringing these actions, and they will just want to beat it down over and over again until it's gone. And of course, it's not going anywhere except for overseas. And uh, Europe's been a lot more sensible and in, in not regulating DeFi right out the gate. They want to focus on the centralized intermediaries, which in the United States, that seems to be where the SEC is somewhat focused. We can talk about Mango and some of the, you know, the actions related to DeFi as well, but they're primarily looking for these centralized intermediaries in their actions. Mm -hmm. I know um, David's going to summarize this in a second, but just, I, I just want to say two more things like, uh, okay. So um, first is I don't have assurances that um, Gensler won't come after staking pools next um because it seems like he it, it's somewhat arbitrary in terms of what he comes after and what this what the sec comes after i'm somewhat worried that maybe some um staking uh what was the term you used not derivative but like token. you know a liquid token liquid yeah. taking staking token might be deemed a security by this administration next right so like some people are saying well, this is great, isn't it? it? Net effect is it decentralizes staking. And I don't actually think it's great because one, it removes an option from the market um, and increases the barrier to entry to staking. But also number two, I don't have confidence or trust that this administration won't come after decentralized staking pool services next. Is that an unfounded um, kind of um, you know, take or, or do you think that's a serious threat here? I think the more decentralized the liquid staking protocol and the, and the option to the staker, the less likely the SEC is going to be able to bring a strong case against the, the developer of that protocol or, or the DAO associated with that protocol. I would not put it past the SEC to investigate some of these DAOs and in particular some of the governance tokens. But the way that liquid staking protocols can be designed to really focus on decentralization, the the users all coming together with their own efforts as opposed to the efforts of Kraken or Coinbase or any of the other providers you mentioned earlier, um, th th that's a little bit different in the context of liquid staking. So I, I do think there are arguments there, but this SEC is is throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. The, the, I think the if last... uh, the, uh, you want to finish your thought, Ryan? Sorry, yeah. Just the last thing I wanted to check is an instinct of like, okay, so the, the Machiavellian playbook for, you know, maybe a Gary Gensler is like, wouldn't they want to incent more American centralized um, exchanges to pull together stake? Because that is a, a vector for control for the SEC and for the state rather than what the net effect is. They're driving it outside of their borders. Not only that, they're also just driving it towards more centralized providers. Like mm -hmm. if I was actually trying to control an industry and I'm Gary Gensler, um, I actually want to like, uh, promote centralized staking services that are based in the U.S. that are under my jurisdiction and that I can control rather than banning it. And so, like, I'm 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 kind of even questioning whether um, Gary Gensler is actually good at this. Uh, you know, if if we think maybe he is out for control, this seems to be like counterproductive to that. 
this is why I still can't wrap my head around the like just seems like very capricious and I I I don't have a firm sense of why he's doing it like it, it doesn't seem like just control is kind of the the element here is there something else I'm missing about this it's hard to say, you know, what's in Gary Gensler's mind at the moment, uh, aside from a, a hatred towards the end of time. I'm just kidding. Um, it, it's really hard to say. I think there's this sense at the SEC that a lot of these crypto products are being offered uh, by a centralized party, and there are investment-like features that, that bring them within the, the scope of the securities laws because there's this counterparty risk where you're relying upon somebody's efforts at managing a, a pool of money uh, or otherwise to generate returns for, for the, the user. And the SEC hasn't really looked under the hood at the technology to say, hey, th this looks a lot different from uh, a money market fund or some other financial product. They're just grouping it all together and they frankly don't care. Um, you know, the, 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 the view of the SEC is essentially this industry should exist within the securities regulatory framework, but we're not going to change any of the rules associated with traditional securities such that what you wind up with is equity securities on a blockchain and all of the benefits and innovation of the technology where there's a way. I mean, the, the security token days where people were just issuing these security tokens, it, it didn't go anywhere because it was so restrictive. And you know, we could talk about accredited investor issues and, and all of that, but the, the burden of registering a security is massive. You have to have a prospectus. You have to issue a registration statement. There's a, a pre-effective period. There's all of these things that you have to do to comply with the securities laws that are very complex. And that's why you have massive companies that decide to go public. And there's a ton of legal work associated with it um, and, and other work that, that gets invested there. And that's just not going to work for crypto mm -hmm. when you have smaller development companies issuing tokens. I think so if dumb. you uh, view this enforcement action uh, by the SEC to crack in in silo, that's it'll tell some certain story. And maybe, yes, there are extra services that Kraken, as a result of the economies of scale, was able to provide that particular project that did meaningfully change its nature away from just being a facilitator of staking as a service to something additional, a prepackaged product that started to look like a security, at least from the eyes of the SEC. I think if we took that this story in silo, that interpreting it would produce a certain outcome, a certain interpretation. But the thing is, like, there's all these other data points to consider, which is like Gary Gensler's weird office hours PR campaign that's also infantilizing of the crypto industry. And then you also take in the fact that, like, sure, maybe it, maybe it crosses some sort of how we test secure SEC line of like that starts to look like a security, but also like, what are the risks and downsides? And does this also inhibit the mandate of the SEC, which is like to if, and to create capital, uh, facilitate capital formation, right? And like, and so like, sure, maybe I'll give we we give the SEC the benefit of the doubt that maybe it does start to look like a security. But the also the alternative of that is like there are no risks here because the income is coming from a protocol. They are just mm -hmm. being a service operator, and so it to me it's like the SEC is just trying to score points more than it is actually doing its mandate and it's doing this in a way it's like oh like we could we could go after kraken because on this technicality that they haven't considered because they it's of, of common sense am i onto something here mike yeah you know when when the merge happened, there were all these rumors that Gary Gensler viewed ETH as a security and was going to come out and say, you know, now that we have proof of stake and people are staking, these are securities, ignoring all of the decentralization factors, right. everything related to the fourth prong of Howie, efforts of others, where you've got a, a massive decentralized network. Um, he focused on this expectation of profits prong, which you have to, you just have to defeat one prong. So, so staking doesn't make it a security, right? But but there was that rumor that the mm -hmm. SEC was looking at ETH as a security. I think this is the SEC's way of indirectly trying to to go back to that position. They're they're going after the staking as a service providers potentially, um, and and they're uh, looking at different types of staking solutions to effectively make it very difficult to stake to hold ETH to use mm -hmm. ETH. Um, so it, so I think it's it's a little bit of a backtracking, but also a. a uh, just just a way to get get it ether. I is it, is it fair to say that Gary Gensler and the SEC they are playing 
a game of scoring points and it is adjacent to the actual mandate of the SEC, which is to, you know, protect customers from risk, facilitate capital formation. Because that's what it seems like as a, you know, a retail crypto person. It seems like Gary Gensler is just trying to score points. And so is the SEC. Is that a fair take? It's hard to say with the fallout of FTX. There's definitely this concern of what happened with FTX happening at other exchanges. And so there's there's this sense of urgency to go and, and look under the hood of different exchanges. That's fair, but I think that if that's the case, they should issue rules that allow these exchanges to come into compliance and, and do the sorts of things that the SEC is looking for them to do, as opposed to just bringing these enforcement actions. Because I, I, I 100% feel confident that most exchanges would walk in the front door if the SEC would work with them, give them exemptive relief that doesn't kill the rest of the industry. I, I do want to make one point, which uh, we haven't talked about so far. So far, we've been um, uh, doing this broad strokes thing about the kind of the SEC, and that's right. true. There are dissenters mm-hmm. in the SEC. Uh, Commissioner Hester Peirce, whom you mentioned earlier, wrote, uh, and in, in, like, I, I consider this brave. I don't know, it's like how common it is to sort of disagree with um, your boss. I know it's not quite that sort of a relationship. Uh, as you know, you have different commissioners who kind of vote on these on these various. Um, enforcement actions, but Hester Peirce dissented. And uh, this is a quote from CNBC from, from her dissent post, using enforcement actions to tell people what the law is in an emerging industry is not an efficient or fair way of regulating. And I feel like somebody in the SEC, like Commissioner Hester Peirce, has been consistently fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've we've had the opportunity to both talk to her on the Bankless podcast because she engages with the crypto community. Imagine that, Chairman Gensler. Imagine actually talking to us evil people rather than just um, giving us office hours uh, editorials. Um, and she has consistently had a fair approach, which is like, yes, some regulation is needed, particularly where there is centralization, regulation is needed. I, I even think that some staking regulation is certainly needed, some custodial staking reg- regulation to encourage transparency. But this ain't it. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to point that out because um, there are people in the SEC, and we have tons of people uh, in various government agencies that actually listen to Bankless. And so if you are fighting the good fight internally for um, the core values and the reasons that your institution exists, uh, know, know that we support you in that fight. And I don't want to paint too uh, broad a brush on the SEC, but certainly under G- Gensler's leadership, um, this has been uh, increasingly hostile towards towards crypto. Um, is it time, David, to talk a little bit about uh, not just staking, but about Paxos and stablecoins? Because what is happening with that? And I, I feel like I'm barely up to speed yeah. with what's uh, been an emerging story over the last couple of days. Yeah. So, so Mike, we'll, we'll get your take on this too, because I would love to understand how a um, stablecoin can become a security. So February 13th, that was yesterday, Paxos receives uh, SEC notice over Binance's stablecoin BUSD, which is a product that Paxos provides to to Binance. So the New York Department of Financial Services, I think, NYDFS, uh, instructed Paxos to stop minting BUSD due to a concerns about its relationship with Binance and is considering action that the BUSD is a security and that Paxos should have registered the offering under federal securities law. How... Does that make sense? <laughs> now, why would BUSD be a security? And just like, what what's the real story here? If this is all like what the SEC is telling and showing us, can you just tell us what, what's actually going on? So we all know the Howey test, right? You know, an investment of money in a common enterprise with a reasonable expectation of profits based on the efforts of others. What sort of profits do you expect with a stable coin, right? It's, right. it's, it's a fixed value. Yeah. So uh, it, it boggles the mind to think through what they're considering when it comes to a stable coin. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, there was a, a new action letter uh, that the SEC issued that I was involved with uh, for Vcoin, which was uh, issued by Imview, And it's a, a stable value coin as well. It, the letter explains that you put a certain fixed amount in and you can use the token and then they'll with, you know allow you to redeem it for that same amount. Uh, and the SEC didn't view that to be a security. Uh, there is also um, an SEC interpretation from September 2020, where they say that stable coins uh, can be issued as non-securities. Um, they specifically say that whether you know one stable coin is a security depends on the facts and circumstances, and they do a case-by-case analysis. Gary Gensler, in a, a speech um, several months ago, similarly kind of 
said that stablecoins may be securities based on the facts and circumstances of the offering, um, whether there's interest involved, whether there's um, an algorithm involved or whatever, they can resemble a money market fund, for example, where you have an interest in a fund uh, that maintains a stable uh, dollar value. Um, or it could be something else. The definition of a security is broader than just investment contracts. There's other categories, things like notes. And then there's also what's called evidence of indebtedness, which is super broad that they could be looking at with respect to um, stable coins, because an evidence of indebtedness is just what it sounds like. You put something in and then you have this receipt that evidences that you uh, put that in and that you have the value of it. But historically, all these sorts of stored value products have been regulated at the state level and by treasury as like gift cards, basically. Uh, you can load funds into Venmo or PayPal or any of these other um, custodians, and they're regulated at the state and federal level, uh, and you can send those funds to people. And stable coins aren't so different from that. So it's a bit unusual that, that we'd see the SEC encroaching here. Um, Gary Gensler's also implied that they could be security-based swaps, which is another type of security but it's interesting to think about what they're so focused on here. The policy concern seems to be that these are the the entry points into DeFi, that people are t purchasing these uh, stable coins and then using them as a substitute for cash in DeFi. And they're able to earn returns through DeFi, through yield programs and things like that. Um, and then some of these are exchange tokens and people are, are staking them on the exchanges and earning yield. So it's it's really hard to say where the SEC is focused here. This is all allegations um, that there's, you know, there's a Wells notice out there. There's, um, I think Paxos has confirmed that they've received a Wells notice. I saw that the other day, mm -hmm. but we just don't know what's in there or what's going on. And, and Mike, what about this story of um, Circle? This is from uh, Coinbase, I believe from today. No, yesterday, Circle sounded the alarm on Paxos. Uh, I don't know if this is rumor or a confirmation. Um, what is what is this about? Is this relevant to the story at all? And like, if BUSD is is a security potentially, then well, then why isn't USDC? It's really hard to say. Every single one of these stablecoins will be analyzed on a facts and circumstances basis. There is, as I mentioned, some very good precedent that would cut it against what the SEC is potentially trying to do here in characterizing some stablecoins as securities. We really have to look at the individual facts of, of each product. Um, but but this is very much a, a when we think about Operation Chokepoint um, 2.0, an attempt to cut off banking products, stable coins, access to banks, uh, qualified custodians, all of that from the, the broader sector and potentially a way just, even if they're just casting FUD on all of it, as opposed to really having the ability to, to bring an enforcement action. Because if you remember with Wells notices, it's just an intent to potentially bring enforcement action. It doesn't mean that they necessarily will. They're investigating. Um, so it's very possible that they've got nothing, but maybe they are looking at evidence of indebtedness or some odd category of security here. So uh, I'm wondering if you know anything that's going on behind the scenes or can speculate about that. Uh, I know lawyers don't like to speculate about things, but I'm going to ask you to see, see what I can get out of you, Mike. Uh, a NYDFS spokesperson uh, is quoted saying uh, that Paxos violated his obligation to conduct tailored periodic risk assessments and due diligence refreshes of Binance and Binance customers to prevent bad actors from using the platform. And I, and I know we're going to turn to this idea of Operation Chokepoint, which the, the kind of the theme here is that there are multiple government agencies who have desires and goals, and they all come to a table, and maybe somebody is like, hey, there's a bunch of money laundering going around with Binance, uh, SEC, any way you can take them down. And the SEC is like, oh, well, BUSD kind of looks like a security. Uh, I'll scratch your back. Uh, is there is there anything to this sort of like speculation? I don't know. I mean, it's it's really hard to say. I don't know if I have much to add on that. You know, it's it's there's a whole lot uh, of news going on at the moment, and I think everybody's got a new story that they're trying to break. And it some of it may be true, some of it may not. But I think we're we're gonna have to wait and see on some of this. And the current status with BUSD is um, has Paxos like disbanded it, or is it? Uh, it is it? a down only supply, so they have agreed to no longer issue any new supply of BUSD. Uh, and so the supply of BUSD is down only. And as far as we know, BUSD was a product similar to USDC and that it's just a um, stable coin kind mm -hmm. of backed by fiat and a bank account somewhere. Is that with, right? With some speculation that there might have been a fractional reserve at some point. 
And the one one important distinction. So we talked about some of these state money transmitter licenses that that many of the exchanges and custodians have obtained. There's also what's called a trust charter. Um, and so Paxos is a New York limited purpose trust charter. They are regulated by the New York Department of Financial Services, as opposed to many of these other um, stablecoin issuers. Circle, for example, um, has money transmitter licenses um, and is regulated by regulators across across the country. Um, and, and there's what's called the bit license that, that many of these state money transmitters have to get. The trust companies, if they're incorporated in New York, don't have to get that bit license, but they're directly regulated by DFS. And so DFS can say, hey, we don't like this product, turn it off. Um, and they can say, hey, no, no new listings for coins. They can really exercise a lot of control over these entities. Um, and so... If, if the DFS doesn't like a product or wants to turn off your ability to self-certify products, they can do that. And that's a real uh, choke point <laughs> that the regulator has over these guys. So, Mike, we need to turn to Operation Choke Point because this is the overarching picture and there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, and so we're going to get to that conversation and more as soon as we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. And we are back. Mike, I want to run through some recent events, and I'm going to try and speed run this as fast as possible. Uh, December 7th, Signature, uh, one of the most active banks serving crypto clients, announces they'll give their customers uh, all their money back, shut down their accounts, drawing crypto deposits down from $23 billion down to $10 billion. They're also exiting their stablecoin business. January 3rd, the, F- uh, the Fed, FDIC, OCC, released a statement on the risks, risks to banks engaging with crypto, not explicitly banning banks, but strongly discouraging them from a safety and soundness basis. January 6th, Silvergate hit with an $8 billion in crypto withdrawals because of fear of bank run and insolvency. January 9th, Metropolitan Commercial Bank announces total shutdown of crypto asset-related verticals. January 21st, Binance announced that due to policy at Signature Bank, they can only process user fiat transactions worth more than $100,000. January 27th, the Federal Reserve denied crypto banks, custodian banks, two-year application to become a member of the Federal Reserve system, citing safety and soundness risks. I'm about one-third through of a very long list that includes Binance, Department of Justice Fraud Unit, more Silvergate stuff, uh, Protego and Paxos, more Silvergate Bank hit with a class action lawsuit. Anyways, uh, if I had the time, I would go through every single one of those things. But I think listeners get the point is that there is a bunch of bad stuff happening in the world of banks servicing the crypto industry. Uh, This has all started in the last eight to 12 weeks. Now the SEC comes out with uh, some very big enforcement actions. Uh, there seems to be a bunch of bad things happening. Mike, <laughs> why? Why now? How, how did this all of this coordination happen? What's the motivation here? Just like, how should we think about all of this? Yeah, so there was this presidential um, order related to crypto put out last year. Um, kind of encouraging this coordination, encouraging some reports and working groups and thinking on crypto. Didn't expect necessarily for this to be such a a, a coordinated effort to take down crypto. It seemed more positive at the time, and and many had that view. Um, But what really seems to happen here uh, after FTX is that all of these regulators start working together under the uh, executive branch um, and working to, to choke off access to the banking system, and then also minimize the ability for um, financial institutions to really access crypto for investment advisors to provide access to crypto to their their investors, um, for uh, financial institutions to uh, go and invest in, in crypto or offer custody of crypto, all these sorts of products that you need for crypto to really take off within the institutional sector, the SEC, uh, Treasury, um, OFAC and FinCEN within the Treasury uh, and the CFTC seem to be cracking down on based on some of these these actions and and many of which you just named. Um, I think it's important to take a step back and just think about how the the banking sector sector is kind of regulated. So you have these state banks that are chartered with the state. So Wyoming is a great example because they offer the special purpose depository institution, which Custodia uh, is one of. Um, And so that's a charter you get from the the regulated state level. And if you want access to the Federal Reserve, um, you have to go to the Federal Reserve and and request a a master account. Um, And FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, you have to go to that regulator and get that um, coverage for your customers. So there's kind of this two-tiered system. They also, uh, there's federal banks as well. So you might be like Anchorage, a, a national trust bank. And they're regulated by the OCC. 
So there's just various banking regulators about the federal and state level. What's happening here, and you also have these New York limited purpose trust companies, you have state trust companies, and these are banking institutions, but they're not depository banks. And so um, all of the, the big names that you'll hear about in the institutional custody space are mostly New York limited purpose trust uh, companies like Coinbase Custody and others. So they have this charter that they got from the New York Department of Financial Services to operate. Um, what's happening here is that the uh, federal regulators are putting out these releases, policy releases, that they've now entered into the Federal Register, essentially saying that they don't view crypto custody and crypto uh, investment as principal and, and lots of different types of crypto activities as safe and sound banking. And they're saying that these state banks uh, that want to be insured by the FDIC or want to uh, access the Federal Reserve or uh, do anything else really related to the federal regulators, they have to uh, not engage in crypto activities. And so it makes it very difficult, um, for example, for these Wyoming SPDIs like uh, Custodia to go and get Federal Reserve Master Accounts. And so they've been declined. Um, This is really a tricky uh, situation for for custodians. The SEC, so there's a rumor um, actually started by one of my colleagues, Justin Browder, um, that the SEC might propose amendments to the custody rule tomorrow that would make it very difficult, if not impossible, potentially, for investment advisors that are registered with the SEC to custody crypto assets and offer crypto assets to their investors. And so, you know, if you're a fund manager and you're registered as an investment advisor and you have a, a crypto fund, the crypto under the custody rule needs to be custody with what's called a qualified custodian. And there's a number of different things that meet the definition of a qualified custodian that's set out in this SEC rule. Today, as a trust company, arguably you're able to custody crypto as a qualified custodian. So you can go to a trust company and put your crypto there, they hold it for you, um, and that's that's all kosher with the SEC. If they change that definition, they would make it impossible or very difficult potentially for all of these investment advisors to custody crypto assets. So they would have to, before whatever effective date of the rule, if it goes in, into effect, uh, withdraw, sell, and, and get rid of those crypto assets uh, because they couldn't offer those products, wind down those funds, all of that. And this is all rumored, it's speculative. Um, but but there seems to be a leak within you know the SEC because there was a Bloomberg article that dropped today uh, confirming that this may be happening, um, and it would be proposed as a rule. It would go through notice and comment. But we saw you know in, in the prior administration when they were trying to crack down on non custodial wallets within the Treasury, they put these things out potentially very quickly and give thirty days for notice and comment and just ram it through. And Chair Gensler has done this at the CFTC when he was enacting all the Dodd Frank regulations after the financial crisis, push them through very, very fast. And so if this happens, it could happen very quickly. Um, and that would really take, you know, give a hit to the institutional sector. Is the net effect of this that it it becomes harder to self-custody crypto assets, as in who, where all the crypto assets become custodied, go into a smaller, more centralized, uh, more perhaps like state-aligned uh, entities than what is previous, which is a more, you know, per, not permissionless, permissionless isn't the right word, but like a more open set of people that can custody crypto assets that gets confined to a much smaller set of people. And those people who are able to custody crypto assets are much, much more state aligned. Is that a fair description of the net effect of this all? As a net effect, it, it, I think that there's going to be less institutional access to the banking sector, mm-hmm. you know, as as it stands today, it's very difficult to get a, crypt, a bank account as a crypto company, and it was even more difficult years ago. Uh, there were a handful of banks like Silvergate and um, Signature that were offering access. That's um, broadened out, and you see more mm-hmm. um, banks offering access. But we saw the other day Signature was was winding down a lot of its crypto clients, and so just as any business, you know, whether you're a small business, right. large business in the crypto sector. Access to banking is really important. Um, and then investors that want, you know, asset managers that want to offer crypto products, not being able to custody that's going to make it very difficult. So, yes, I think there's going to be a lot more um, high net worth individuals that just go out and buy crypto on their own and custody it themselves and all of that rather than using, you know, a fund manager. And so, there, there, is, is the motivation for this like there? Are, 
what what is the motivation for this? Because it kind of just seems like they want to squash the industry from the external perspective. It's like, oh, they're like literally just cut off the oxygen, and eventually the thing will just wither on the vine. Yeah, it sounds like the like the executive branch on the back of like SBF and everything, every you know everything that happened in twenty twenty two. We're just like, hey, now's our chance, and let's like all get together and see what we can do to choke off this fledgling industry. In all of our vectors for control, we control the banks. So what can we do to make it real hard to get a bank account for any sort of crypto company or institution? Okay, check mark. Let's do that. We could see that in process. We control vectors of kind of what securities are. And so how can we make that um, piece difficult as well? And it's like, it seems to be this coordinated effort of um, some meeting that none of us know about, nor, nor we're present for, of a kind of the executive branch uh, going after a divide and conquer strategy to choke out this fledgling industry uh, from like serious investor circles uh, inside of the United States. That's the net. Of, that's what it feels like happened. Is that really what's happening? And has anything like this happened in um, kind of the U- U.S. regulatory history with respect to crypto previously? Is there any sort of analogy here? Yeah, I really think there's an analogy to the 90s when we had what was called the crypto wars. And it was really this war on encryption and cryptography. And there was this case, Bernstein versus United States, where a professor developed this cryptography te- uh, technology that he put out on his website for his students to use and experiment with for teaching purposes. And he wanted to broaden it out and distribute it more you know, across, across borders, outside the United States, all of that. So he went to the State Department and said, is this okay? And they essentially said, no, you're, you're exporting munitions. They compared cryptography to WMDs, firearms, all of these uh, illegal weapons at the time, uh, and exporting that outside the United States uh, was illegal. He fought that to the, to the um, Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit agreed that this was a, a free speech issue, a First Amendment issue, and that really opened up the ability to export cryptography. And it, w- it was actually a threat for a lot of these programs like Netscape and others where they, they incorporate encryption and there's no ability to protect credit card information or other things. And this really broadened up the, the e-commerce industry and all of that. I think here we're seeing the opposite where it's almost this import uh, you know, embargo placed on crypto where they want to keep all of this outside the United States. They don't want it here. And so they're cracking down on the industry to push it all offshore. And there, there's tokens that have been sold offshore in the past and all of that. But, but for the most part, we've had exchanges here. They're regulated as money transmitters at the state level, as, as money services businesses at the federal level. There's, there's become kind of a regulatory framework to offer compliant legal crypto products. But if they say they're all securities and the SEC is not willing to work with the industry to develop a framework for it, it all just goes offshore. If you can't have a bank account in the United States, you've got to go offshore to a, to a foreign bank and, and start your business there. Uh, Cayman Foundations, all, all this sort of stuff, we're seeing it all go offshore. Mike, are they dumb? <laughs> like, are, are they stupid? Like, I, here's what I don't understand about this. This seems so self-sabotaging, the United States, right? Here's a fledgling technology that could be as impactful as the internet and the u.s you, but is... you know that ryan what do you think they know do they know that because like how many of these people are just doing a job and their job's like oh i've got the hammer and who am i gonna like, hit today how did we ever get the internet to happen in the 1990s like how did we ever get kind of like um regulators and our legislators on board with opening up a communication protocol if like they can't see the potential of this fledgling industry and like they're so willing to drive it outside of the board borders of the US like i i don't know if um those in power realize nor maybe they just don't care what's at stake for future generations and for the United States like we've always said on bankless this isn't about whether crypto will succeed or fail the best they can do in the US is like slow it down a little mm-hmm. um but they can absolutely harm the u.s they can make sure that all of this innovation happens outside of the united states but they can't like they can't put this back in the in the bottle i mean like the toothpaste has been squeezed out of the tube and they can't like put it back in so like what are they doing it this just just doesn't have coherence are they just hopeful that yeah we'll just like block it in the u.s and drive it outside of the and then in a few years it'll just go away you know like is that what they expect to happen uh I know this is probably outside of the 
the, the like lawyers don't like to speculate. Yeah, this is I, I know this isn't a legal question, but I'm just trying to make sense of of any of this. And it seems to be the most self-sabotaging move that the United States could do. The most the most anti-capitalist, anti-entrepreneurial, anti-freedom response that they could take. And it it is seeming like the inside of the United States is one of the most hostile countries on earth to this freedom giving technology. And I'm just like, what gives? Like, yeah. what? this is so dumb. I, I don't understand it. And that now I'm getting into rant territory. But like, is there anything you would say about this, Mike? Well, if you look at the terms of service for many crypto products out there, they will have the United States listed right next to North Korea and Iran on their terms of service. It, it's, it's a really bad look for the United States. That rather than embracing the technology, they're pushing it offshore. Uh, and, the, and the United States is now in line with uh, Iran and North Korea on, on every terms of service. I think there's a huge opportunity here, and there are many on the Hill uh, that, that get it, right? Right, Like Tom Emmer, um, McCarthy, but others are just pushing against it. And I think after FTX, there was this idea amongst many on the Hill that we just don't pass any legislation. We just let it go, treat it you know, as a... a an asset class that doesn't belong here that we don't want to recognize in any legislation, um, and then let Gary Gensler and, and regulatory agencies go after it and police it in the United States and push it out. And this won't last, right? We're going to get new administrations in the future. The stuff's going to flourish here. But in order to get there, we really need to to make our voices heard and and um, tell to communicate, educate regulators to to help them understand that the technology is is a generational technology that deserves to be here. I can't help but to ask um, a large amount of what the net effect of uh, the SEC's actions and, and other agencies like the SEC is, we, we call it investor protection in the, in the front, but incumbent protection in the back. Uh, and so I, I'm wondering, Mike, is there anything worthwhile to speculate here about how um, much the banking sector is, is involved here? Because if you look at the one category of winners here, it's the, the fact that the banking sector doesn't have to compete with crypto. Uh, is there anything to this speculation? It's possible. I mean, I, I think the banks ultimately all see the merit in this technology. So the you know the CEO of Goldman Sachs wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal praising blockchain technology, um, and and I don't think it's that you know blockchain not not Bitcoin kind of movement. I think they actually get that there are public permissionless networks like Ethereum and and others out there that they uh, view as, as being important for the banking sector as well. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say the banks are, are aligned against this, but I do think there is this um, investor protection mantra amongst some in, in the, the sector and some on the Hill that view this as kind of a shady asset class. Like when I got into to Bitcoin, I remember it was like everybody believed that it was uh, magic internet money that the drug dealers were accepting on the internet. It wasn't this... Uh, legitimate asset class. And I think today you have people trying to throw the same sort of um, fear on, on top of it again. Well, Mike, uh, we're going to be fighting the fight for hearts and minds, uh, of course, on Bankless as we do and encourage the, uh, our community to get involved where they can, whether that's ca calling uh, th their senator or a uh, member of Cong uh, Congress or, or writing someone or just uh, making your voice heard. We'll continue to call for, call for that for sure. I, I'm curious, Mike, if maybe you could sort of close us out on a, a ray of hope here. So um, some of your comments a little earlier almost gave the spirit of like, yes, this too shall pass. This is sort of a, a phase. Um, this is not a permanent situation that the U.S. finds itself in. Um, we've gotten, we've, you know, gone through dips and then come to the other side of accepting uh, new technologies in the past that, um, you know, scared the nation state at first and ultimately passed. What is your um, hopeful case for how we come out of this on the other side, uh, where this technology can actually flourish in the borders of the United States? Do you have a path for that happening? Yeah, you know, cryptography survived uh, from, through the 90s. There was this crypto wars. Maybe we're in crypto wars 2.0 now, but crypto will survive in the United States. It will take time. We need to work with the regulators. We need to, to fight some of these cases in court. And unfortunately, without new rules for crypto, it really will be the the builders versus the regulators. Um, the the dev teams need to kind of think through thoughtfully how they're building products. Decentralization is is an option uh, for for many of these 
protocols and 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 teams out there uh thinking through how they either trip into the securities laws or don't that's important but i think we'll all survive this you know future administrations are going to hopefully be a lot more friendly to uh, crypto assets and it, it will just become such an economic uh case that that this needs to be here that I, I i don't think the uh people on the hill will be able to ignore it and and as i mentioned earlier you know we've got mccarthy we've got emmer we've got many on the the hill that are fighting the good fight um the industry needs to just continue to stand with with people like that um and and frankly uh, you know frankly fight some of these cases in court if it comes to it um i think that there are good arguments that, that many of these companies are going to be able to to raise against the sec um, and they shouldn't let them, uh, you know, intimidate them into, into basically just going with it with the Gensler way. Well, thank you, Mike, for walking us through this. And Bankless Nation, I, I hope you felt uh, educated in what's going on with this seeming uh, war on crypto that the U.S. has has launched recently. If nothing else, we certainly have demographics on our side in another a uh, couple of decades, certainly, um, those that are young now and in crypto will be those in power in uh, in our in our halls of Congress and on Capitol Hill. So we got that going for us anyway. <laughs> we just have to wait them out. Um, Mike, this has been a lot of help. Thanks for joining us today on Bankless. Glad to be here. Risk and disclaimers, guys. Of course, I gotta say for for Mike and for all of us, none of this has been legal advice, not anything like it. Neither has this been financial advice. Of course, as we always say, crypto is risky. So is DeFi. You could definitely lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone. But we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. <laughs>